Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to the A Champion's Mind podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news to share with you guys. On this podcast and maybe some other places, you guys have heard about this company called Topical Edge and a product they make called PR Lotion. Just to give you the short and skinny on it here, I use it extensively. Basically, what it does is it buffers lactic acid to allow you to exercise at a higher intensity. And then obviously, since you've produced less lactic acid, it also allows you to recover faster so that you can get ready for your next session more quickly and go at it with a little bit more oomph. Now, the news is this. As of October the 1st, Topical Edge is no more. But that's only because the company has changed names from Topical Edge to Amp HP. The PR lotion is still around. The PR lotion still works as well as it did before. So if you want to try this stuff out because you've heard me talk about it so much or because you've heard of others and kind of how it's helped them out, jump onto amphumanperformance.com and type in the promo code UTMOSTPERFORMANCE to get 25% off of your first order. You guys can thank me later. Without further ado, here goes today's podcast episode. Thanks for tuning in to the A Champion's Mind podcast. Got a special interview today here with guest Jordan Shane. Jordan, thank you so much for being on the podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, Mario. All right, so here we go. Jordan, please introduce yourself and let folks know who we will be hearing from today. Yeah, uh, well, this year uh, I, I've been riding on the Elevate KHS uh, professional cycling team, um, which uh, you've been involved with, I guess, as a mental coach to a few of the riders. And so that's my connection to utmost performance and the champion's mind uh, podcast. But, uh, yeah, it's been a great year on the team. I've been a professional cyclist for three years, did a couple with Jelly Belly, um, and uh, this is my first year with Elevate, and it's been quite successful for both myself and the team. Right on. Good deal. Jordan, where are you coming to us from? Because I know people are like, okay, the accent, I think, sounds a little bit off. Where is he from? So where are you currently from? Right. Uh, I live on the top of a ski hill uh, called Big White in British Columbia. Um, It's near uh, Kelowna, British Columbia, which is... um, in the interior, it's a super nice area in the mountains, uh, and um, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate to live where I am. It's a little smoky right now, but it's beautiful and some of the best riding in the world, I think. Awesome. Good deal. Well, hey, I actually have never asked you about this, and I'm curious. We're just going to kind of jump uh, and kind of ad-lib this interview, but there's a question that I just, I guess, kind of came up with in my own mind. Okay, so you're from Canada, and you live in Canada. Like, what's the... Um, What's the balance between like is there like a ton of racing up there or are you having to jump back this way like what's the um I think I think it's a unique thing right like being on a being on an American continental team like Jelly Belly and Elevate KHS Pro Cycling are both like American teams and being yeah. from Canada like what's the balance between jumping over here and doing some racing but then going back up there I mean how do you balance all that and what does it look like yeah, I mean, it's pretty uh, similar, I think, to some of the American teammates. I have uh, the, you know, the flights for me sometimes are a little more painful um, just because I choose to live in the middle of the, the woods, basically. But, uh, yeah, I end up in the States probably, if you add it all up, six or eight weeks for racing out of the year. And then uh, my wife and I do uh uh, winter stretch down there for training and uh in tucson this year we were uh and that was another six weeks so i spent 
a good amount of time in the U.S., um, just enough time here to make sure I get free health care <laughs> and I don't have to apply for citizenship. Um, so, uh, yeah, but, yeah, there's uh, good racing opportunities. There certainly has been in Canada. Tour of Alberta was great for five years. Um, Super Week in Vancouver is kind of iconic. And I would say we punch above our weight class for racing opportunities, but um you do have to race North America. You can't just race Canada. And uh, we've had a good team in, in silver pro cycling in Canada for the last few years. Um, but I've had my my breaks come in the form of American teams. Uh, so that's where I've been at, and I've been pretty happy with it. Cool. Jordan, uh, you say you live in the middle of the woods. So sounds like you do a lot of training by yourself. Um, how has that, how do you feel that that's been, has it been all advantageous? Has it been a drawback at times? Like what's the, um, I guess give us like some of the tension points with doing that kind of both good and bad with training by yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I've always, uh, trained primarily by myself, uh, since the very first, uh, rides I was doing, I was, uh, I was trying to prepare for speed skating, which is a more Canadian sport. And I would go out on my mountain bike solo for an hour and, um, just, just ride as hard as I could for an hour, uh, alone. And so it's really morphed from there or it hasn't morphed. It's been the same. Like I've always been a sort of a solo trainer. And now the area I live in, we have a good cycling community. I sort of live farther away from the center than most. And, uh, I enjoy going out on my own and sort of getting the work done. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. And, um, I think I'm introverted in that way. I prefer to have the time on my own. And like, I really like being with my teammates at races and I thrive on that aspect. But, um, day to day, I think I, 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 I can have a lot more energy if I'm by myself and, uh, focused on my, on my job and sort of just the enjoyment of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I, I'm in a similar position where like I train by myself a lot and tell me if this is accurate for you as well. Like the way that I feel is like I do a lot of the training by myself, but then I get these moments called races or team camps or whatever, where I get to go ride with other people and interact with other people. And it just makes those a little bit more special just because I don't get those all the time. Um, so I really value, yeah, like, like you, I really value the doing the work by myself, doing the suffering by myself, the preparation by myself. But then I also really value those uh, moments that I get to actually go and come alongside other, you know, teammates or even fellow competitors at a race and just kind of get to hang out and mingle with them. Yeah. And uh, it is a different thing. Um, for me, those are things I look forward to for the social aspect, for sure. Um, like maybe not for the training aspect of a training camp with a team. I'd still rather do that by myself and probably have just as much fitness gain. But the social aspect is like, that's why we're in a team sport altogether, you know, and it's a pretty special aspect of it to build that relationship. And I'm also a coach. And uh, when I ride with my clients and can sort of share some knowledge and, not think about my own cycling, but think about their cycling. That's a cool aspect of our sport that we can share it that way. So definitely um, look forward to that in certain ways. Yeah, for sure. So Jordan, uh, how'd you get started? Like you mentioned speed skating. Is that where kind of like yeah, you got going I, with athletics? I, 
it's it's always um you know it's not a story of one of these child prodigies that uh comes up through the ranks and wins everything uh when i was a junior or even a cadet um i played hockey as a kid i was pretty late even into that um but i sort of discovered i loved sports around i don't know nine or ten and i tried all of them um was good at very limited amount of them if any uh wrestled in high school really enjoyed that that was sort of an individual sport that kind of turned on my my um aptitude for that maybe and uh and then yeah it was speed skating um and speed skating is pretty fun the racing is sort of crit style very tight and fast and you can go 50k an hour but the training for it is quite monotonous because you're just doing circles up the ice and uh i sort of decided i got advice that i could do the bike as a cross training and um I thought almost right away, I like that better. There's speed, you can go places. And then I had the fortune of bumping into a couple roadies, you know, while I was out. And uh, they told me, you know, you're going pretty fast on, on that crappy uh, Canadian tire bike. Um, <laughs> and why don't you come out to some road rides? And, yeah, it sort of just went from there. It was super slow. Like, I never, because of my experience in sport before, not being successful really in the competitive way. I never thought that I would be competitive on the bike either. Um, I did running in high school. Um, and at the same time, I was like, oh, maybe I'll do some triathlon because I like riding my bike too. And um, it wasn't until maybe I was 17 or 18 um, that I went out on like a more competitive group ride and uh, a pro at the time, Mark Walters, who won the Philadelphia Cycling Classic, uh, national champion multiple times. He was from my area and he was there and he sort of took off on a hill and I could stay with him just, just for maybe 10 K. And I remember my heart rate was about 200 just on his wheel. Um, but after that, he, he sort of told me like, he got the stuff. I think he wasn't sure. He's like, I don't know how someone so skinny can make so much power. Uh, it was maybe 105 pounds at that point. And, uh, and, but that was, that was the first time anybody had ever told me I was good at sport, any sport. And, um, and I sort of, like he was talking about professional level and I was so many miles away from that, but it went from there and I got, he got me onto a team that traveled around and, um, yeah, pretty much immediately I started having some good results, um, just based on my power, I think. Like, I had none of the skills the other guys had, um, and that was how it all started, and I rolled well as a second-year junior, just like my last, my last races as a junior, I was sort of coming into it, and I uh, went from there. Okay, so I guess... You, you get somebody that tells you, hey, you're putting out a ton of power, which, by the way, all right, I'm going to have to ask another question before I ask this question. You're talking about that point in time weighing 105 pounds. For anybody that hasn't seen Jordan, just type in Jordan Shane on Google and go check out some pictures. The dude is real thin. So I got to ask, man, with the wrestling thing, uh, so you're wrestling, like what weight class did you wrestle? Yeah, so I wrestled in just in ninth grade because uh... – I sort of was just dabbling in it and I ended up getting injured at the end of the year, but I was five foot six at that point. I hadn't really hit my growth spurt and I, I did the 97 division. Um, 
And I did not have to cut weight for that division. I was pretty, pretty comfortable. <laughs> well, that's why I'm asking because you're mentioning, you know, like it, it's just I've never had anybody mention. Yeah, I was I was a wrestler, you know. Yeah, I mean, you talk speed skating. I'm like, yep, I can see that. You know, you talk like you know doing some mountain biking. I'm like, yep, you know, you can do that. You talk about wanting to get into triathlon. I'm like, yep, those all make sense as somebody who started doing that. And then got into professional cycling. Those are all like, yeah, those are skinny people things, right? But then you're talking about wrestling, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, wrestling? Wow, like, did he even, did he go in the weight? Yeah, room? it was another sport I wasn't very good at because I was too lanky. You know, you have these long legs, and the little guys can take out your legs quite easily. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think I just had the good fortune. My my stepdad was into all sorts of sports and. Um, and sort of sparked my interest just by chance. And like from 10 onwards, any sport, anything, I'd watch any sport, I'd do any, I'd throw a football to myself in the backyard. You know, I just loved it so much. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I was never good at anything until all of a sudden, 18 years old, you're done being a kid. You're thinking about other stuff really. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, maybe I can take a shot at this. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's kind of how it went for me. You know, I mean, I was like, oh, basketball. Nope. Oh, you know, soccer. Nope. Oh, track and field. I mean, oh, okay, cool. You're decent. Right. But it's like, you know, you have this attitude, you have this mindset. Like I just, I like being competitive. I like pushing myself, man. I kind of like the little pain thing, you know, and, and training and, and hurting and having sore muscles and that kind of thing. So it's kind of like you're you're trying to just find where I'm going to apply that to, you know, and, and you bounce around and you do different sports and you do different activities until you finally stumble upon like, oh, man, I'm, I'm riding up a mountain, you know, I'm riding up this hill and I stayed 10 kilometers with this guy that's achieved some results at the pro ranks. And he's saying, hey, by the way, like you're actually it seems like you can be pretty darn good at this thing if you stick with it. Right. So. The question that I was going to ask before I went off on the rabbit trail about the wrestling thing is, um, so he tells you that he kind of helps get your feet wet and helps kind of get you onto a team. Um, at what point did you kind of like start to actually own that? So what I mean by that, let me tease this out a little bit. What I mean by that is here's this guy, Mark saying, Hey, I think you could be pretty good. And he basically like, throw, you know, you know, uh, sticks a label on you. Like this guy, Jordan, he, he, he can make power. Here, here's a label. You can possibly take this far. But at what point do you actually look at that label and say, hey, you know what? I want to own that label. Like, let's let's see. Let's walk this thing out. Like, let's get serious about this. When would you say that that was for you? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question because I think there's, like, multiple levels of, of owning that. Um, like, and it was sort of no coincidence that he said, like, hey, you got a lot of power. And that was really the case i remember getting a power meter one of the very first wired up brick heavy power taps the next year and doing a power test and it was like right away at my low weight and the power i was producing it was like on those stupid charts you know it was like cat one pro like and so i <laughs> could see that i could see that right away that like i had the power and i would convince myself that um, you know, I had the engine to do it, but I think it was like many years later that I owned the fact that I wanted to be a professional competitor. Cause I think that's something that I missed and I never developed because I was really never in the high level of sport. Um, you know, house league hockey, 
you're not really caring about whether you win or whether you put in like a masterful performance. You're really just running around and trying to hit each other and maybe slam the puck in the goal. And that's where I was at. And so, yeah, I went through those junior years, U23 years, very much believing that like, oh, I'm physiologically, I'm developing and like, look at what I can do. Um, but it was a big disconnect. Like I wouldn't compete in the races hmm. the same way as a lot of these seasoned guys would. And even the kids my age who had been really good athletes for years, they owned it. They're like, man, I'm going to go out there and win today. I'm going to get in the breakaway. I'm going to attack here. I didn't even think that far ahead. I just sort of expected it to come to me somehow. Um, and I think that was a big problem. Um, and I had enough, it was almost like a, a curse, you know, you have enough power to get some results, um, and sort of follow your way into it and have success. Like, you know, you just put your pedals down and ride away sometimes and it works. But, um, the way I developed, you know, it just took a very long time for me to own like, cause Mark always also said, you can be a pro, you can win stages at these big races. Um, it took me like until maybe a, a couple of years ago to own that part of it. Yeah. That's man. That's super interesting, right? It's the whole, um, Hey, obviously you hook yourself up to a power tap and you've got pro numbers just out of the box, literally. And it's like, Oh, cool. But is it really cool? I mean, is that really going to be, um, like, a bonus for us or is that really going to be an, an uh, advantage for us and in your case and in many cases unfortunately it's not right because all of a sudden it's like well if i've got this in my corner then i don't necessarily have to think about some of the other things in terms of i've got to put the work in or i've got to really actually think about the course and how it flows and maybe where i could do these things and again a, a very delicate balance because when you're dealing with juniors when you're dealing with younger riders what's the proper amount of pressure to put on them right or do you allow them to just kind of develop on their own and do you allow them to come to their own realizations and you know that's a that's a topic that a lot of people debate you know you've got the helicopter parents that are just doing it wrong on that end and putting too much pressure but then you know, at, at what point do you, hey, you know, son, you need to learn to get yourself dressed, you know, and I mean, I can't just keep sitting here and being lazy until you decide that you want to do that, right? Um, so it's it's kind of somewhere in between there. Um, yeah. But fast forwarding, um, you obviously realize that now, right? Saying it in the podcast, you've come full circle and you're like, man, those years, I, I just, I, I kind of was asleep at the wheel. I wasn't really necessarily paying attention to some of the things that I paid attention to. Jordan Shane today, how had, how did you realizing that back then and knowing it now, how has that changed your perspective and your approach to being a professional now in 2018? Yeah, you know, it's uh, been a pretty central part of the journey as a, as a pro, like, and I even, I've been a pro for three years, but my first year and even a large part of my second year on Jelly Belly, you have an internal dialogue that, like, you're not really riding like a pro. You're, you know, there's certain markers, and I forget who told me this, like, if you make it to the finishing circuits on the sunset loop of Redlands, you're a pro, whether you're an amateur jersey or a pro jersey, like, it takes a lot of tactical guile. Like you got to, even if you have all the power in the world, it's the last day of the bike race. It's technical. It's hard. It's hot. 
And if you make it there, you're pro. And like, there was still stuff like that as a jelly belly professional rider I wasn't doing. Um, and, and so I still didn't feel that way. And it took last year, you know, it didn't end super well with jelly belly and me, um, because of multiple factors, but, um, they're one of the complaints. And I think this came from maybe my early riding with the team was like, yeah, man, like you have all the potential in the world, but your, uh, your pack placement isn't so good. And, uh, you're just not putting yourself in position and you're not doing the job for your teammates intuitively. Um, cause we can all describe what, you know, like I just described, you're going to make it to the last circuits of Redlands, blah, blah, blah. You can describe it, but you have to be able to do the stuff in the moment, follow the right moves, not make the stupid breakaways, make the good ones. Um, and I felt like towards the end of my time at Jelly Belly, I started, something clicked and I was doing that. I think the pressure and the, you know, just myself, I gradually building over time, um, my mental game, I was doing that, but it reinforced it that what I needed to come to elevate that that had been a complaint and that this was a clean slate and that I wanted to bring all those skills and just compete in every race I was in this year. And, uh, I think on all accounts I've done that. It's been really, really big for me. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that in a second, but I want to back up like how much Jordan, how much would you say that that's something that just can't really be rushed you know, like it's something that actually has to kind of develop over time. Like we've got to give a rider time to be able to, to, to figure those things out. And, you know, for some riders, you get somebody come come through and they get it in a year. Right. And it's like, whoa, OK, wow. They jumped in and immediately they're making the, the you know, they're getting in to make the circuits on Sunset Loop. And then you've got somebody that that it takes them a while to do that. You know, I mean, uh, one of your teammates wrote a really, really good article, uh, after what did, what did Sam Bassetti, what did he get on sunset loop this year? Did he get third or did he He came third and yeah, read that article. Yeah. And he talked about it and it was like, you go through Sam's progression on specifically on the sunset loop day. And it's not very glamorous, you know, but he went from like, I can't remember what his best result was before he got third this year, but it was, it wasn't anything spectacular. So what do you, what do you, I mean, how much of it do you feel like is actually really experienced? Like, and, and, and you say it clicked, but it was just the accumulation of repetitions. Yeah. And I think that it's just not even a collection of skills that make the racer. You know, I think Sam, he was a pro way back in like 2011 or 2013. I forget and so clearly he's had the skills and, and he dropped out of the professional peloton and came back in. I, he knows exactly what he needs to do to get to the sunset loop and he can perform all those things in isolation. But I think the mental game, the subconscious of putting it all together is just the key. And, um, you know, they think a lot of guys in the peloton are natural born killers. Like they were good at every sport. And, you know, they were always the ones that got put on the teams and showed up and scored the winning goal and stuff like this. And I think but cycling's unique. I think there's a lot of us that are not those natural born killers because it's a, a latecomer sport. You can really get a long way on on the aerobic fitness and it's a different different selection. Um, and I think Sam and I both probably share the same thing. You've had to learn how to be 
a, a killer out there and finish the job. And like, for me, a lot of that came with, you know, it started with meditation and journaling and sort of like getting into the moment, learning how to be in the moment in these races and just apply those super simple skills. Like cycling's not complicated when it comes to, you know, hit the apex on the corner, get to the front for this certain, you know, mile post on the course. Don't touch your brakes on the descent. Like I have cat three clients that could tell me all that stuff, but doing it all together is different and doing it when there's 200 guys around you that want the same thing that you can make excuses about like, Oh, this guy bumped me. This guy wanted it more. This guy's an idiot. He screwed up my race and doing it all. Then it's got to come from the subconscious. You just have to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like the way you say it, you know, and the way that you put it, it's like there are, there are a lot of guys that are capable of already making the circuits on Sunset Loop that haven't made it, right? And just to use that, because you, you mentioned it as an example, and just to kind of use that as a common common story we'll, we'll put out there, like, there's a lot of guys that physiologically, hey, you're capable of getting there, you know, but you haven't, and you haven't, and it's not because you don't train hard enough, it's not because you don't care enough about your career or your teammates, it's not, it's not because of any of those things. Like you said, it's really just... You're thinking too much about the skills that you're trying to acquire that you already possess. It's like your your head is so far up the road that you're not noticing that you've got a tool belt with everything necessary already to be successful. And I think that's one of the uh, well, like you maybe wouldn't wouldn't uh, know this as well as we do, but you know here in the U.S. it's like you know try harder, you know like just just knuckle down, like just you know put more effort into it. You're not you know you're not you're not hitting it with enough force or you know whatever people tend to say. And, you know, I've seen like somebody have a bad race and then go out and train so hard that you're actually doing more harm than good. Like it's actually not trying harder to, to, to actually whip your body into better shape or physiologically raise these particular kinds of markers. It's actually back off a little bit, you know, be a little bit gentler with yourself, like actually give yourself maybe a little bit more credit, you know, and, and don't try to like strong arm this thing you know, be more gentle and be more understanding with yourself and cut yourself a little bit more slack and give yourself another opportunity, you know, uh, to try this thing again. And, you know, that's one of the things that I feel like you've done really, really well this season is, is you've, you've allowed yourself to continue to step up to the plate and continue to provide yourself opportunities and kind of going into that. And you and I were chatting about this the other day. Um, you know, some of uh, some of the opportunities that we've looked at having haven't necessarily shown up for us, but you've been able to reframe your mind and do some other cool things. So can you kind of talk to me to, or talk to the audience and, and the people listening? Like, what are what are some of the things that you've been proud of that you've been able to do in terms of your performances at some of the races for Team Elevate KHS? Um, and if and if you don't provide good ones, I'm going to jump in because I know of some of them and I'm going to pat you on the back for some of them. Cause I feel like you've done some really great things this season. So yeah, sure. just share some of those I, with us, man. I'll probably understate it and maybe you can add to it. But, um, yeah, like I've had some races that have been circled on the calendar as goals for myself. And I guess one that jumps to mind where we work together, you and I, and, and really had a potent effect um, with this stuff is uh, the Joe Martin stage race. 
um, on paper, it's one that for the general classification, it suits me perfectly. Like there's an uphill time trial of 10 minutes right in my wheelhouse. I'd won the San Dimas time trial quite, quite like emphatically, like a really good time there. And, and I was up against, you know, maybe the same competition or a little better and bottom line, like I should have been able to take a stage of that race. I should have been able to be in the podium in this time trial. Um, and, uh, you know, over the course of the first stages, we made a mistake. We blew a stage win as a team. Um, part of that was on me. Um, we had a golden opportunity and then we got to the time trial and it was all time to write, write the ship and just put the power down. And it so happened that it was about two degrees Celsius that day or like whatever, 34 or 35 in American money. Um, and, uh, and I just got out there and I felt good for about the first three minutes and I froze my butt off. I started shivering mid effort. Um, and, uh, even though I was going as hard as I could, I was still in a skin suit, you know, exposed legs and I just couldn't make the power. And I did about, I think like something ridiculous, like 70 Watts less than I had at San Dimas. And I finished 22nd and I immediately knew that as soon as I crossed the line, it was a big disappointment. And you just know you don't even need to see the results. You just, you know, you're not on your game. And, uh, it wasn't like the fitness wasn't there. It was just a, a stupid mistake and it didn't affect everybody the same. I'm sure some guys thrive in those conditions. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I was out of the GC race all of a sudden and, um, and that was devastating in a way. Um, but in the next day we sort of just wanted to turn the page. Um, and there was a crit downtown, very technical. It was going to be cold again. Like who knew in, in late April, it could be so cold in yeah. the South, but, um, but anyway, it was, uh, technical, the crit, I'm not a natural crit rider. My sprint is cat five at best, but I wanted to go out there and be a factor and a factor for the team because we had a chance to win. And I ended up just doing it. Like I bundled up, I put on all the clothes I had. I did a warm up ride in the morning. Um, all the things that I would have done if things were going well, even though they're going very poorly and I was pretty depressed. I just, I acted as if and I stayed in the moment of doing things correctly. And I ended up riding the breakaway the entire crit and making sure my teammate Sam got the points out of the breakaway for the green jersey. Uh, team never had to hit the front all day because we were in the breakaway and we ended up just popping out in the sprint and Alfredo won and it was the first UCI stage win of the season for the team and it was huge. And like for me on paper, one of the best performances I've had, just excellent power, excellent performance, tactically just about the best I could have done. And, uh, yeah, that's the sort of turnarounds I've had and I, in the past I wouldn't have, I would have just, sat in the pack and felt sorry for myself and probably gotten angry at a lot of guys um, that had done better than me. So, yeah, it's been a story of that, and I'm sure there's more examples. Yeah, no, there there are more, but that one right there, I mean, that's just um, that's just such a good example, and I was so, you know, I was so proud of you, and I know that the management at, on the team has been proud of you the whole season. I know that your teammates have been super proud of you all season because it's just been doing things like that, right? So it's, I mean... For those of you listening, like it's turning a, a quote unquote negative into a positive, right? It's it's like, oh, you know, I've been training, I've been working really, really hard, like I'm in shape, you know, I've been doing the preparation, I've been making the sacrifices, 
and then you show up and it, and it just doesn't go according to plan and you know um, when you're when you're a professional like this I mean you're involved in a stage race you you have you have a, a race the very next day sometimes less than 24 hours later you don't have time to try to figure out what was it that went wrong between then and the next day sometimes the the nightmare is going to continue sometimes it fixes itself but the only thing you can do is, you know, what Jordan's done a good job of this season is I've got a job to do tomorrow and I'm going to try and do it to the best of my ability. And, you know, what does that mean? And like a true professional just sticking to that means I ride in the morning. That means I, you know, do all of the things as like you said, as if I'm on a good day um, and, and just continue to do that. And I think that Joe Martin was definitely probably the glaring example of the year because it was such a good day for the team and the team was so ecstatic. And, um, you know, the first, you know, the UCI win for the team, Sam, you know, you know, uh, locking down the sprinters Jersey. Uh, but you know, just this past, uh, just this past week at Colorado pro challenge, right? I mean, what did you guys end up doing? I mean, you know, what was so, to back up, Sam Bassetti, you know, had a couple of uh, a couple of finishes high up on some of the stages that ended in some sprints, uh, being a guy that's been sprinting pretty well this year. And uh, can you walk us through what happened on one of those days and how you were able to play a pivotal role uh, in, in getting him to the line and allowing him to execute on a sprint? Yeah, I guess something I've learned this year um, with a team, you know, we're super fortunate to have really good sprinters. Uh, in Sam and Alfredo and Scott, like these are guys that have won races for us all year. And yeah, we had Sam at Tour of Colorado and, uh, it was a stage that Queen saves the race, uh, you know, a hard mountain early on. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't a stage Sam was probably going to win, but it was a stage that he needed to get through. And the time cut was only 7%. Um, and yeah, again, what I've learned this year is that when you have guys like that on your team, there's always a job to be done, even if your own race isn't going well. And you can never switch off during the race or else you're, you're leaving money on the table by not, you know, giving stuff back to your teammates and, and helping them be their best because these guys, these guys can win it. Um, whether it's that day or the next day. So. Uh, my automatic response on that stage was I sort of knew I wasn't going that well. I was struggling with the altitude. It had been a long trip. Um, and I didn't make the front group. I was sort of in between on the road and I could see Sam had sort of blown up on the mountain. And, uh, and so I slowed down with him and we sort of organized the groupetto and, um, and time cut 7% is probably as tight as you'll ever get on a mountain stage of a tour. Um, ended up, it was only about 15 minutes and Sam was on a bad day. Uh, we ended up getting dropped from the Gruppetto, you know, going back with Sam on the climbs because he just was missing that extra 10%. Um, but we had no option, you know, the next day was a sprinter stage. Sam's our sprinter. And Kevin Gherkins and I dropped back with him and we ended up riding the last half or maybe even more 80 to 90 kilometers of the stage with Sam in a, more or less a two up time trial because Sam really was not feeling well. And, and we made the time cut. We ended up 14 minutes, 20 seconds back and the time cut ended up. We didn't know it. Uh, it was 15 minutes. So we just, <laughs> we, 
we snuck in there and I think like from the, the splits we were getting, we were about 13 minutes down with 25 K left. So the group was winding up for a sprint and we only lost one minute over 25 K just two of us, sometimes three when Sam could. And, um, yeah. And so he made it through the stage and the next day he, he came top five and, and really threw down and probably technically his best sprint that I've seen at that level um, wasn't really his type of finish. It was a really fast one and he prefers the tough ones, but he delivered. And um, yeah, it was just one of those days where it's the least glamorous job. Um, and you could easily, I didn't make the lead group and my maybe a pass response would have been to shut it down completely or keep chasing myself and try to make it back. But in that moment, I've just really learned to take the team role and, um, and sort of have some foresight there and it worked out. So, yeah, man, that's such a great story. Cause it's like the next day he gets fifth. Right. And so he doesn't get fifth without you guys. He doesn't make time cut without you guys, you know? And, um, and so just being willing to sacrifice right there, I think this is, so let's just camp on this for a second because, you know, on a team, everybody is going to play a role and everybody has to have a role or else it would just be a one man team it, and, and we would just shut it down. But everybody has to play a role. Sometimes your role is going to be to be that guy, to be the guy that seals the deal, to be the guy that crosses a line first for your particular team. And, you know, you get the flowers and, you know, you get to raise your hands on the podium and that and that gets to be you. But for every one of those, there's going to be five, six, seven guys that are watching the award ceremony, and they have just as much skin in the game as you did, right? Um, yeah. And so I really like that, yeah, you, you become self-aware. You've become self-aware to the point where you're like, you know what? You know, the legs aren't there like they need to be, but there's something that I can do to help somebody else to, you know, live the fight another day. And then their day could be tomorrow where they're going to be the guy, you know, and let me see what I can do to, to help, you know, along with that. And, you know, you've only been a professional for three years, but with that kind of attitude and, and that kind of uh, wisdom, I would say, like, you know, there are teams that are looking for guys like that all day long because, We've seen it so many times where it gets top heavy because you do have a bunch of guys and it's like, oh, watch out for that team next year because they've got five guys that could win the race. And it's like, yeah, but guess what? Like when guys three, four and five, like you said, don't make the front group, they decide to shut it down because you know what? Forget the guy that's behind us trying to make time cut like this stinks because I don't get to be that guy. And, you know, all of a sudden you get a really dysfunctional team. But thankfully, you know, it sounds like over here at Elevate KHS, you guys have a team where you've got plenty of guys that are willing to pull back, plenty of guys that are willing to, you know, put it down for the other guys. And then conversely, you know, when the shoe's on the other foot, what do you think Sam's going to do for you? You know, you don't think Sam's going to like, you know, just completely pin it going into a climb to make sure that you're in the position you need to be in to, to get there. And, you know, that's how you that's how you get successful teams. I mean, if... Uh, if I remember correctly, um, you guys were ranked. I don't know if you currently still are, but you guys were ranked uh, the best team in America, right? At some point during this season. Correct. Yeah, and, and that was uh, that was a complete team effort um, to get there. Like that was a combination of stage race results and crit results, and you know probably everybody on the team had a win in that time. 
Um, and a lot of those stories where, yeah, it's like the team came together and, and even like, yeah, there's a typical thing in cycling, you know, you fetch bottles and you ride the front, like that's what a domestique does. And that's satisfying in a way, like to do your job. But a lot of these situations, it's guys that are going way above and beyond that and like reading the race for their teammates. And maybe it's hard sometimes when you're the leader. Um, and you're under pressure, you don't read the race correctly and you don't see opportunities. And it's come down to stuff like that, like, you know, seeing stuff on the road that other guys have missed and, and making the race and making it come back together um, and riding a team in that way. And like thinking about the success of the team in those moments, even guys that, you know, I've been good enough on a lot of days to get a result for myself. But then you think, you read the race and you think like, oh, the team has a better chance at a result overall if Sam makes it over this climb and gets down onto the circuits and sunset, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've had a lot of those moments and, and thought about the success of the team. And it's, it's, I think a lot of guys have done that. And that's why we made it to number one, um, and punched way above our weight class. Man, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's that's awesome, you know, to just have that, again, to just have that wisdom. I, I call it wisdom because it really is, man. It's just not, it's not what you find in ordinary ordinary folks. And even among the professionals, it's not what you find amongst professionals either, you know. Um, it's a rare thing, hence the reason why, you know, there's very rare, there's very few folks that, that you know, have a, a, a long, prosperous life in the professional peloton because, um, you know, so, as, as you, as you maybe get older and as you maybe get a little bit slower, like you, you've got to start, you're going to start, they're going to start coming back to these, not what can you do with the power meter? You know, what are your numbers look like? But do you have some of these soft skills? You know, are you able to help somebody read a race? You know, so, so vital and so important. Like that guy has the opportunity to be there at the end. But I mean, if I wouldn't have shown him like, Hey, you know, coming into this spot, we need to make sure you're at the right place. Like, it doesn't really matter what his numbers are because, you know, he didn't see that. And thankfully, I was there to help that person see that. And I know that you've played that role quite a bit, too, where you've kind of been the road captain, you know, you and, and Scott Law, where you guys have called the shots on the road and kind of helped organize people. And again, um, testament to the to the other guys, they have the humility to listen. Right. Because you've also got to have that. I mean, you can't just have somebody at the at the bow, you know, like calling the shots. You've also got to have guys that are like willing to say, hey, this guy, Jordan, this guy, Scott or whoever else it might be, you know, Brian or whatever. Like they know what they're talking about. Let's listen, you know, and let's do what they're actually telling us to do, because we believe they have the best interests of the entire team at heart. And, you know, when you share hotel rooms and vans with guys, they start figuring that out real fast. Is this one of these guys that's telling me this because it's going to benefit all of us? Or is this one of these guys that's telling me this because, like, it's going to line his pockets, you know? And uh, I think in the year that you've been around, you've gained the reputation as a guy that's, hey, I'm I'm a good old boy. You know, I'm here for you guys. You know, uh, we're, we're here to do this together. So, yeah, it's been uh, special in that way. And, like, I can't take all the credit or, you know, even, even some of it because, uh, yeah, as you said, the team has been receptive to that and it's been a special group. This isn't a development team. Like I think, you know, the median age of the team is 26, 27. Like we're all around there. The youngest guys, Alfredo is 20, but, and everybody else is 24 to, to 36 uh so we've all been around long enough to be humbled by the sport and sort of realize 
how few moments uh, of like a pure win you can get for yourself. Like there's a lot of luck in there and things don't always go your way. And at least the way I've seen it is, you know, I'm here to enjoy this, this sport while I'm here. And, uh, and I enjoy when the team wins. I enjoy when this team looks good out there. Um, and so that's been a big goal of mine, um, is to, is to facilitate that. And it's been easy for me because I'm trying to enjoy it. And you get way more moments of enjoyment if you play for the best odds of the team. Um, then you will if you go for yourself, unless you're Peter Sagan, you know, the vast majority of us, um, a little selflessness goes a long way there. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Uh, so Jordan, just wrapping up, like you finished Utah, you finished Colorado. Uh, and so unfortunately or fortunately, uh, you know, with the lay of, uh, racing here in North America, like pretty much season is, is pretty much over. Um, and so what's, uh, what's up for you? What do you got coming up next? Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, it's up in the air a little bit. The, um, team is talking about a couple more races for the year, like maybe the gateway cup, um, and, uh, which is some crits, uh, and maybe some races in Asia, um, which I had the, the actual pleasure of doing last year. Um, and I really enjoyed racing late into the, into the calendar, um, but you know, we don't know right now. I think everybody put in a huge effort in Colorado and, and it's whether guys will be motivated and bounce back. And like our director, Paul has been pretty pragmatic about that kind of stuff all year. If guys don't want to be at a race or, you know, we don't have the resources, then we're not going to, you know, bend over backwards to do it. So, uh, yeah, I hope that everybody rallies and maybe we can do something like that, but if not, it'll be, the off season and looking towards 2019. And, um, from what I've heard, you know, we've had the really good fortune that elevate will look a lot like it does this year, next year. Um, and I hope to be a part of that. Um, and yeah, like this has been a breakthrough year. We made it to number one. Um, and we'll just have to decide what our goals will be for next year and, you know, welcome anybody new onto the team and, uh, and look forward to that. But yeah, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break here, whether I start racing again, uh, if all is a question, but you know, I've already got my eyes on 2019. Awesome. Hey, uh, lastly, want to, uh, leave some of the listeners. I don't feel I did a good job during the interview of letting your colorful personality come out. Super witty guy, super fun guy to be around, super humorous and just lighthearted. But uh, in case folks want a little bit of a preview into that, like where could they find you? I know that you write, correct? So I'm just going to leave it there and, and go ahead and throw out some places where some folks can learn more about you. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I've been pretty, um, pretty deep and uh, intellectual for the last 45 minutes. So maybe not showcasing. <laughs> that dynamic wit but yeah i like to i like to crack a joke and uh and um yeah i i uh i'm not really on social media um that much facebook i don't really post on twitter perhaps because some of that wit is a little uh a little offside for the public eye so i would get myself into trouble <laughs> with some of those jokes um, but, uh, yeah, it's a self-control thing, but, um, yeah, but I do really enjoy the long form, um, writing and, uh, I've written a lot over the past 
three or four years, maybe more than that. Uh, I was on Pez Cycling News. Uh, there's some archived articles there that are you know, that I wrote while my time with Jelly Belly. Um, and uh, this year I've been writing for uh, Zwift Insider, um, which is you know a whole other part of of my identity as a cyclist is that I've been indoor. Uh, trainer a lot up here in Canada, and I've really enjoyed Swift and the development of that. So I've been writing a sort of a prose diary at SwiftInsider.com, I believe it is, and uh, that's a huge community. We underestimate how many people are involved in that indoor racing and uh, social platform. So yeah, I've been talking about my races, about um, the power and the training and the tactics and just going long form and sort of maybe expressing some of the emotion of the sport for me. Uh, whether people want anything to do with that is uh, another question, but that's where you'll find me. And uh, I hope to do uh, another podcast because this has been quite enjoyable and I think I have a, a face for podcasts. So um, it's probably my avenue. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you on, and um, yeah, just let the let the rest of the season play out. If you got a few more races, and then we'll definitely loop back in and catch you at some other point uh, during the year next year, maybe. So, Jordan, man, thanks so much for being on. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Mario. All right.